I've got a word of encouragement for us today, church. And here's the word. Jesus is praying for you. Did you know that? He is praying for you right now. Every one of us. You're in his heart. He's asking his heavenly father to give you what you need and shape you into the person you are meant to be. I want you to know that. I want you to know that right now, wherever you've come from, whatever story you've been in, however good or not so good your week has been, you're not alone. You're not without support. You're not without the resources of the prayers of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is praying for you. And because this is true, because this is happening right now, we can draw near to Him. Think of it. The Son of God, who is praying for us, bids us to draw near to Him, to trust Him, to depend upon Him, to look to Him, to anchor our hope in Him. He who is praying for us desires that we draw near to Him. In fact, I'll just put it this way. Jesus is praying for us, so let's draw near to Him. Now that's where I'm going today. If you have your Bibles, meet me in the New Testament book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in chapter 7 this morning. We've been in a series over this sermon to the Hebrews. This is a sermon manuscript. We're studying a sermon preached 2,000 years ago by a preacher to a fledgling, persecuted congregation, and the preacher just has one string on his guitar. Jesus, that's it. Jesus is better. He's better than angels, that's what we learned in chapters 1 and 2. He's better than Moses, chapter 3. He's better than Joshua, chapter 4. And in chapters 5 through 7, this theme of Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And this passage that we're going to look at today tells us how Jesus is interceding for us right now. So if you're here today and you're, you're feeling squeezed like a kayak amidst battleships, this passage is for you. Jesus is praying for you, so draw near to him. Now, now this, this big idea, Jesus is praying for you, so let's draw near to him, this gets communicated by means of this mysterious person Melchizedek, Melchizedek, I want you to say that name on three, one, two, three, Melchizedek, again, one, two, three, Melchizedek, that's how we pronounce his name, Melchizedek, Melchizedek's going to preach to us today, and he's going to remind us that Jesus is for us, he's praying for us, so let's draw near to him. I want to read Hebrews, I'm going to actually start in chapter 6, verse 19, and I'm, I'm going to read through chapter 7, verse 10. 
We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, that's a lot. It really is. It's a rich, rich passage of Scripture. And... What I want to do today as we consider Hebrews chapter 7 is I I want to just answer three questions, three questions here, all with this big idea in mind that Jesus is praying for us, so let's draw near to him. The three questions are, are these, and perhaps you've been asking them as I've been reading these verses, I hope so. Question number one is, who is Melchizedek? Okay, we had to pronounce his name. Well, who is he? And then, and then secondly, what's he doing in this sermon to the Hebrews? Okay, What's he doing there? And then, and then thirdly, <laughs> why should I care? Why should I care? Yeah, that's an important question. We're going to hopefully answer all three of these questions. And, and uh, just, I mean, why all of this matters is church goes without saying, the holidays are upon us, right? And so there's going to be a temptation to celebrate Christmas by seeing how much we can multitask, and by staking our identity by how satisfied the family and the kids and the grandkids are, right? 
or, or, or staking our identity by how well we can execute the Christmas festivities. Okay? Right? May I just help by just relieving that burden? I just, I just want to take that off our shoulders here, and instead I want to offer some peace. The peace of drawing near. These verses, these verses, this message is about preparing for Advent, and so Advent prepares us for Christmas, right? But I want to, I want to do some pre-preparing. I want us to prepare for this coming Christmas season. This Christmas season, let's celebrate Christmas by drawing near to the Christ who is praying for us right now. That's my heart here today, okay? So with that in mind, question number one is, who is Melchizedek? Who is Melchizedek? Well, the answer is simply this. He's this mysterious person in the Bible who is mentioned three times. Melchizedek appears three times in Scripture. Genesis chapter 14, Genesis chapter 14, uh, Psalm 110, Psalm 110, and then here we just read Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7. So, um, so let's talk about Genesis 14 for just a minute here as we answer this question, who is Melchizedek? Um, so turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 14. While you're doing that, let me just kind of set up what's happening here. In Genesis chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to Canaan where he would become the father of many nations. And through him all nations would be blessed. So Abraham goes. And Abraham also brings along his nephew Lot. Now they get to Canaan and what you need to understand is that Canaan was a land that was led by, I'll, I'll just call them urban kings, urban kings. And um, Abraham kind of kept his distance from the Canaanites, uh, but Lot did not. He kind of saw the glitter of the gold of those urban kings, and he was kind of drawn to them. And, and, and as a result, Lot got caught up in, in some inter-urban king rivalry, and uh, this escalated to the point where four of these urban kings, four of these city-state kings, in, invaded five other city-state kings, kind of reminds you of some sort of, of you know, you know a mobster uh, movie or something like that. Well, that's kind of what we're looking at. And, and so as a result of, of the invasion of, of four against five, uh, the four prevailed and some people were abducted, their possessions were taken, and Lot and his family were among them. And so Abraham hears about this. And, you know, he's been trying to keep his distance from these, these urban uh, uh, kings and and but so lot and his family oh we got to go get him so he rallies 318 of his own men this is genesis 14 they were trained for battle and then they go and they they um they rout the four kings they rescue the kidnapped they retrieve lot and lot's family they take back some spoils of the battle and they head home so abraham is, has all of a sudden become this hero and so on the way back home he is met by two kings 
two kings approach Abraham, and then Abraham had to make a decision, which king, with which king will he affiliate? And that, that's, that leads us to Genesis chapter 14. Verse 17 says, After Abraham's return from the defeat of Kedoleomar, 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 and the kings who were with him, so Abraham defeated Kedoleomar and the other kings that were with him, those four kings, uh, uh, the king of Sodom, Sodom, the king of Sodom was one of the five kings, okay? And, and, and Abraham went out to... Uh, and they met the king of Sodom to meet at the valley of the kings, the king's valley. Okay, that's verse 17. And then, okay, that's one king. Here's the other king. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. The scripture says he was priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed him, Abraham, and said, here it is, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. That's what Genesis has to say about Melchizedek. Now, now recall, recall that Abraham had been promised by God to be the father of a great nation and then many nations. And, and, and as of Genesis chapter 14, he has no son, no heirs. He's a stranger in the land. He's surrounded by urban kings. He's a minority. And then he's got to go to war to rescue his family. Do you see the risk there? And he returns in victory only to be given an offer by a king whose city is so wicked that God will eventually destroy it. What's Abraham going to do? How's he going to respond to the king of Sodom? Abraham says, no, 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 no. No, no, I will not accept even a strap of your leather sandal, lest it be said that you made me rich. I'll just take the food that we've eaten and whatever's owed to my men. I take nothing for myself, nothing. And so instead of taking Abraham with this victory, he gives, he tithes. He gives a tenth to Melchizedek. So Abraham rejects the wicked king of Sodom for the righteous king of Salem. Peace, Salem, shalom. Sodom will soon be destroyed and Abraham instead receives a blessing and refreshing from a king whose city of Salem will one day be known as Jerusalem. And so Abraham chose wisely because he trusted God. He chose peace. He chose righteousness. He was longing for a better city. He was longing for a better city. So, so now think about this for just a minute. Remember, remember. Our text in Hebrews was originally given to a church, okay? How would that have been heard by the original church? Think about this. Think with me. Their small house church, their spiritual community surrounded by pagan Roman Empire of various religions, they're marginalized. See, they're, they're, they're not like their culture. They would have been ethnically marginalized as Jews, and they would have been religiously marginalized as Christians. All they had was what Abraham had in Genesis 14, faith in the promises of God. 
And this preacher to the Hebrew congregation is trying to persuade this church to keep trusting God's word. Keep trusting God's word. He wants them to endure persecution and hardship. And he reminds them of something that all of us need reminding of. For here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. That's Hebrews 13, 14. For here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Oh, church, we all, all we have and all we need are the promises of Jesus. Can, can, so can you see yourself in the Bible? Can you see your life story in their life story? Like Abraham, feeling alone in Canaan. Like this Hebrew congregation, feeling alone in the Roman Empire. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel like you're just all alone. Where you work, where you live, who your friends are, you're, you're fighting battleships in a kayak. And just when you're tempted to cut a deal with the king of Sodom, God surprises you with the provision of Melchizedek, who blesses you and refreshes you and says, you're not crazy. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep holding on. Keep enduring. You're not going to be like the world. For here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Man, will you just marinate in that truth, in that promise, in that oath from God? And, and, and God Keep your eyes open because you mean your Melchizedek may come alongside and bless you and refresh you and, and encourage you to endure to the end. And, and your generosity to God Most High, like Abraham's generosity to God, is a dagger to the demon of worldly greed. So who is Melchizedek? Oh, he's a reminder sent by God that he will keep his word. That's who Melchizedek is, okay? Now, we could just stop right here, couldn't we? Well, I have a footnote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the next two questions. Okay, what's Melchizedek doing in this sermon? Well, According to the preacher of Hebrews in chapter 7, Melchizedek is in Hebrews to remind us of Jesus. Yeah, 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 yeah. Melchizedek shows up to remind us that Jesus is in all of the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jesus himself said so. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, then Jesus said to his disciples, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So Jesus is in all of the scriptures. So yes, we ask the question, do you see yourself in the scriptures? That's a good question. It is, it is a good question. Let me tell you an even better question, and it's this. Can you see Jesus in the scriptures? 
See, that's, that's where the preacher's getting at in Hebrews chapter 7. The reason why we can see ourselves in the Scripture is because we first see Jesus in the Scripture. And the preacher claims that, why is he in this sermon? The preacher says that Melchizedek is a foretaste of Christmas. He's a foretaste of God's promised Messiah. He's a foretaste of future grace. So get ready. Get ready. And so when you look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it's, it's, just, it's as if the preacher read what we read from Genesis chapter 14. That Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. We read that, didn't we? And then to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. Isn't that neat to consider the fact that what that preacher read from Genesis 14 is what we read. It's saying Genesis 14. And then verse 3 says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Well, what's that about? What's that about? Well, remember, Melchizedek is in Genesis to tell us about Jesus. So Genesis presents Melchizedek presents Melchizedek in terms of literature, Melchizedek does not have a genealogical record in Genesis, and he's the only one who doesn't. It's as if to say he's eternal, resembling the Son of God. That's verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 7. Resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So Melchizedek's historical life was presented as resembling the Son of God. And so, for instance, Melchizedek is the very first priest mentioned in the Old Testament. Also, Melchizedek uses the phrase, God Most High. Well, Abraham uses the same words in Genesis 14.22. So here you have this, this, this non-Hebrew Canaanite king of the city of Salem. Salem, shalom, peace. King of the city of peace. And you also have a priest whose name means Melchizedek, whose name means king of righteousness. So, I mean, Melchizedek's life screams Jesus. And then, and then, and then, the preacher makes this very sophisticated argument about Melchizedek the greater and Abraham the lesser. Look at verse 4, Hebrews 7, 4. Hebrews 7, 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. So, so he's talking about how great Melchizedek was to whom Abraham gave a tenth of the spoil. And, and, and the preacher argues that Melchizedek, that Melchizedek blessed Abraham and that Abraham tithed to Melchizedek means that Abraham was the lesser and Melchizedek was the greater. That was their culture. So Abraham gave honor to Melchizedek, his superior. Verse 7 says, it's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So everybody knows this, the preacher says. And then in, in Hebrews 7, 5 through 10, where we read, the, 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 he, the, the preacher argues logically. Okay, let's just take that logic out to its conclusion. If all, Stay with me now. Are you with me? Say amen. All right. So 
if all Israel was in Abraham's body, if all Israel was in Abraham's body when Abraham met Melchizedek, then Abraham's seed includes his descendants. That's Isaac and Jacob and Jacob's sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, which includes Levi, Levi, the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood. This means that Melchizedek's priesthood was greater than the Levitical priesthood before the Levitical priesthood even started. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. Verses 9 and 10. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor Abraham when Melchizedek met him. Wow. Church family, cavemen didn't write the Bible. Okay? Thinking, reasoning, scholarly, Educated people were among the authors of Scripture. And this preacher reasons that Jesus is better because, because he is after the order of Melchizedek. So he's not in the lineage of the Levitical priesthood. Jesus is a different kind of priest. He's a Melchizedek kind of priest, one of a superior order. And, 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 and so, so someone might say, well, what was wrong with the old one? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Whoa, 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 whoa. It, it was, here, here's the problem. It was insufficient. It was limited. Verse 11, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one named after the order of Aaron? So, so, Verse 18 speaks of the law's weakness and uselessness. How is the law weak and useless? Here's how. Because the law can only tell you what's wrong with you. The law can't save you. So, so, the, so the, the law is, is necessary, and it's good, and it's holy, and shows us our sin, shows us our need for a Savior. But the law cannot save, because while we can work at doing it, we can never fulfill it. Because the law requires absolute perfection. And that makes it a merciless taskmaster, because it wasn't given to show mercy. The law was given to uphold justice. So it's a terrifying thing to be left alone with the law. Because through God's good and holy law, uh, you know, I am made aware of my sin and its wages, and the wages of sin is death. And this explains why every high priest from Levi, every high, maybe starting with Aaron, kept dying. Verse 23 says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. Why were they prevented by death? Because they're sinners, that's why. That's what verse 27 says. The high priests offered sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. Oh, don't you want a high priest? Don't you want a priest king whose life would never end? Whose administration would never end? Oh, to have a, a high priest king 
who is incorruptible, indestructible, and unbribable. The front page of the paper would just be blank. We would just have the weather if that were true. Oh, to have one who is holy, innocent, and unstained. I mean, we long for these. We long for these in our politicians, in our pastors, and yes, in our CEOs. And you know, every now and then, you know, a, a good egg comes along. And we're happy about that, but not for long, because in the back of the mind, we're going, how long is this going to last? Right? Oh, what we seek is a king of righteousness and a king of peace who lives forever. You see, this is touching us, isn't it? It's touching us. We, 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 want, we want a priestly king who lives to bless us and refresh us with bread and wine. We do. And to this longing, the preacher says, look no more. Verse 22 this Jesus is guarantor of a better covenant. And why? Verse 24, his priesthood is permanent. He continues forever. Melchizedek's life was a foretaste of Christ. And, 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 and here's the beauty. Melchizedek didn't sing solo. He is among a chorus of voices throughout the scriptures, where God drops hints of Messiah's coming. And so, so a thousand years after Genesis 14, King David is writing the Psalms. And so he would have been writing the Psalms and would have been reflecting on the law. He would have been reading Genesis. And in Psalm 110, you can tell that he's read Genesis 14. You can tell. And, and, and he writes about, David writes about this promised Messiah, Psalm 110, who is both king and priest. And in smack dab, the bullseye of Psalm 110, Psalm 110, verse 4, David writes, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Ah, that's another hint. Christmas is coming. Jesus is coming. And oh, oh, I wish I had time. I wish I had time to talk about, say, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. The very first mention of the gospel concerning the seed, the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent. God said to the serpent, your seed shall bruise his heel, that's a painful wound, you get wounded on the heel, that's painful, right? But he shall bruise your head. That's a mortal wound right there, you see. Ah, oh, there's the cross and the resurrection, church, Genesis 3.15. Oh, I, I don't have time to talk to you about Numbers chapter 21. Numbers chapter 21, when Israel yet again complained against God and, and the Lord sent fiery serpents who appeared to bite them and they cried out for help. And Numbers 21.9, Numbers 21.9 says, So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus himself interpreted Numbers 21 in John 3, John 3, 
As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Ah, even that serpent, bronze serpent on that pole, was a hint that Christmas was coming. Oh, and then I don't have time to talk to you about the Passover in Exodus, where the lamb slain and its blood painted on the doorpost, that's a hint, that's a foretaste of Christmas, the Lamb of God. Oh my goodness, there's so much more in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures that tell us that Christmas is coming. Get ready, Christmas is coming. 1600 years ago, 1600 years ago, a pastor by the name of St. Augustine, St. Augustine, he was a pastor of the North African town of Hippo, Hippo. He saw, he saw that the entire Hebrew Bible was a, was a voyage to Jesus. He said this, he said this, this grace hid itself under a veil in the Old Testament, but it has been revealed in the New Testament. Oh, yes, yeah. And I, and I think it's like God is giddy. He just can't wait to unveil his glorious plan for us. He didn't have to give all these hints. He, you know, Bethlehem could have just come. Oh, no, God just, get, can't, he just can't wait to drop plans of here's what I'm going to do. For instance, in Isaiah, 40, in Isaiah 43, the Lord says, come near, come around, come around, draw near, everyone, everyone, all the nations, everybody, come around, come around. And then he says this in Isaiah 43, 18 to 21, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Now you know why we sing our God is an awesome God. And God planned this new thing from before Genesis. Meaning this, listen to me, you are not an afterthought. There's never a moment of time when God isn't thinking about you. And there's nothing in your life, nothing in your life that shocks God. And he has no plan B for your life. There's just plan A. And so there's no going back to the law. That's what the Hebrews were wanting to do, tempted to do. We're going to go back to the law. Well, but the law is a journey to Jesus. You're already at Jesus. You've got to keep moving forward to Jesus. Melchizedek is a hint that Jesus is coming. Oh, man. Now, I could just stop right there, couldn't I? But I've got another footnote for you. And it's why, why should I care? Why should, and you know what? I think, the pre, I think the Hebrew preacher was thinking that his church was thinking that too. Why should I care? And that's why the Hebrew preacher says in verse 25, consequently, you see that? Consequently, here's why it, we He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You, some of you are thinking, oh, God can't save me. Oh, he, there's nothing about you that surprises him. He can save you. He is able to save. That's in the present tense. You see that? 
That's a present tense verb. He is able to save. He always lives to make intercession for us. Church family, what I'm trying to tell you is that Jesus keeps the lights on. It's not like he died and rose again and ascended and took a seat at the Father's right hand where he's lounging till we all catch up. No, 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 no. He saved me. He is saving me. He is interceding for me. He's praying for my endurance, praying for my perseverance, so that by his power and his promise, I will press on to the very end. So I already have the superior. Why? Seek the inferior. Well, one of my professors, Herschel York, taught me this. He said, every temptation in life, you think about this, every temptation in life is a temptation to seek the inferior instead of the superior. Every temptation is to want what appears good over what God says is best. And Jesus is the ultimate good who brings everything else into focus. That's why we should care. So, 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 so what is keeping me from drawing near to him? What, he's praying for me. Oh, church, draw near and keep drawing near. His door is not shut. The king's door is open. It's been opened by the true and living Melchizedek whose indestructible life generates spiritual life for our tired and weary souls. His love says, come near, draw near, stay near. Yes, yes. One more story, then I'm going to sit down here. True story. Two years after her son's death, she was still wearing black. In the courtroom, her elegant black dress with black lace accents generated a sense of awe and quiet respect. There was no small talk nor the muffled, nervous giggles usually heard at the beginning of traffic court. When the judge took the stand, the first name he called was Matthew Broward. But the lady in the back stood up and approached the stand. Your Honor, she affirmed with a trembling voice, my son cannot be here because he died two years ago. I have his death certificate here. And the bailiff quickly took the document and delivered it to the judge. And the judge said, well, how may I help you, ma'am? She said, well, I'm here to pay my son's debts. He had four traffic summonses, and according to these tickets, he owes $2,500 in traffic fines. And the judge answered slowly, Lady, your son died. You owe nothing. But, Your Honor, she protested, it, it's my responsibility to pay all my son's outstanding debts. How would you like for me to pay for these fines? I have brought all my money with me. And the judge answered again, this time a little more emphatically, Lady, you owe nothing. Pay nothing. Your son has died. A dead person owes nothing because he's unable to pay. He's dead. But, Your Honor, it's just that as a mother, I don't feel right that my son left these debts open. I need to pay them. Ma'am, hear me out. The law requires that when someone dies, all traffic debts be exonerated. And at that, the, the judge quickly motioned for the bailiff to come and 
gently escort her out the door because she kept insisting to pay for her son's debts. Church family, listen. When Jesus died on the cross, we died in him. And whoever believes this owes God nothing. Why? Because a dead person owes nothing and is unable to pay anything. Scripture says we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he paid our debt, and it was only then that he made us alive in Jesus Christ. That is the law of the gospel of grace. When he died, we all died. Now, it's not that complicated, but the heart barely dares to believe it. And so we all walk around in black wanting to pay debts we don't owe. But church, I came here today to say that God has sworn and he will not change his mind. Jesus is priest forever. He's priest forever after the order of Melchizedek because he lives we live, and we live not so that we will pay a debt, but to proclaim that we live because our debt was paid. And what do we do now with this debt-free life? We sing our God is awesome. That's what we do. We praise, we share, we tithe, we, we do good in our neighborhood, we practice a sport, we worship, we live a life of worship to Him. It's Christmas! Your debt has been forgiven. All bills have been canceled, no matter how high the bill. And perhaps the reason why so many of us come here exhausted is that we're trying to pay a bill we don't owe. And no matter how much you pay, it will amount to nothing. Hear me. Hear me. Every time you write a check from your life to pay for your sin, that check's going to bounce. Because the only currency that heaven recognizes is the currency that is holy, innocent, unstained, and exalted above the heavens. The only currency that heaven recognizes is from the hand of an indestructible life. From the signature of the guarantor who continues to live forever, who always makes intercession for us, who is high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Church, I'm telling you, Jesus, the Son of God, died, rose, reigns, and is at the right hand, now interceding on our behalf. We owe nothing. Hallelujah!